So, um, so last week we talked about this nature of the, the Holy Spirit. And so, in fact, we said a couple of things. We named him from the Greek as the paraclete, right? The paraclete representing our, someone that represents a helper, an advocate, right? A companion, a counselor, an intercessor, right? We said it's one who was personally called near to give help. And we said the reason, is, reason being is this. Jesus was with the disciples, but he knew he was leaving. So therefore, in his, in his flesh, right, he knew he could not stay. Therefore, he was sending, an, he's sending another in his place, an exact replica of himself, the work of the Holy Spirit, his, his spirit, the same spirit that empowered him. So you say, how could Jesus do the things that he did? And that's say simple, because he had the Holy Spirit. Which Holy Spirit is that, Steve? The very same one that he left for us. So the things that, what what empowered Jesus to be Jesus and to withstand temptation and to do the miracles and all this stuff was not because he was God, but because the Holy Spirit was with him, empowering him. And then he left that Holy Spirit and the disciples did what he did, but even greater things, according to John 14, because he left the spirit with us. You have to recognize the work of the Holy Spirit was what empowered Jesus. And so Jesus got excited about leaving his spirit for us. But I recognize that sometimes it's difficult talking about the Holy Spirit because we're ignorant, we're clueless. And so I want to give you a, an analogy this morning taken from a good uh, a professor of mine in, uh, in, in Scots named Bob Tuttle. Now, I know Gary Gibbons has heard of Bob Tuttle. He's walked out to count. But Bob Tuttle is a professor at Asbury. He's been there for a long time. And he's the, he was the very, he's probably the only, quote, unquote, charismatic, you know, charismatic as in like the theolo- theological guy. He's the only guy theology who was a, who was a, a, a spirit-filled, you know what I mean, like a Holy Spirit guy. He loved the Holy Spirit, right? And so he tells the story at one time of sitting at a dinner table with, a, with another couple. He and his wife were there with this other couple. And, and they were just, and they were talking. And he, and you know, Bob teaches uh, evangelism and all the missions, all this kind of stuff. And so, in the midst of the uh, conversation, being himself, he said, "Of course, I began to talk to him about Jesus. I began to talk about about the about the Father, right? Sending his Son, the Son living his life here, right? And in the midst of that, in the Son, then sending the Holy Spirit to be Jesus to us, and then to empower us. And he starts talking about the whole the good news of Jesus, right? It's Father sending the Son, the Son coming." living his life, dying, resurrected, talked about the Holy Spirit coming, right? And all of a sudden, he looks across the table and says, the guy's just giving me, like, what in the world are you talking about, look? You know that look that, what? Right? He said, all of a sudden, I caught myself realizing this guy had no earthly idea what I was talking about. So I looked at him and said, hey, you have no idea what I'm talking about, dude. He goes, dude, you lost me a long time ago. Right. And he said, all of a sudden I recognized that for this guy, right, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit were like a cuss word to him or something like way out there. I right? have no clue. Only time he ever used them is in his own personal context, own personal setting with no context of what they were. So he looked at him and said, hey, so he said, well, I'm going to I'm going to try to figure out then just try to try to figure out his own language and try to explain Jesus to him in his language, right? Incarnation coming, coming in a way that he understand. He said, so, so what do you do for a living? He said, I'm an engineer. He goes, ah, do you know what a pulley is? He goes, yeah, a pulley is something that we use to lift things that are too big for us to lift. We're not strong enough in our own power to lift. So we use, we use a pulley. He goes, oh, let me introduce you then to the pulley. His name is Jesus, and he sent the Holy Spirit to be the pulley in our lives. 
They begin this hold-in dialogue using engineering language to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone who had no idea who God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit was. He said, I saw him a week later at a big gathering, a big party. And he said, and he looked and I saw the guy from across from him. And he goes, hey, hey, the pulley. I haven't forgotten about it. Right. He's like, yeah. Right. He's like, Jesus, save him. Right. There's a whole beautiful picture of using pulley language to describe, right, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk then about, about the Holy Spirit this morning, right, and we begin to use language that may be new to us or maybe cause us to be uncomfortable, I never want you to forget this picture of the pulley. Because we all understand what a pulley does, right? We get this thing that's way too big for us. We used to use pulleys back in the day. We would literally, we were hanging boat engines that weighed, you know, really, really heavy, right? We were going to put them on the back of a boat. We would literally, we would, or we'd put, put a boat onto a trailer that we had brought in. We would literally get a pulley system with ropes and we would bring the rope and we would stick it underneath the boat and we would lift the boat up with this pulley system and then we would bring a trailer and put it underneath and bring the boat back down. Because there was something that was way too heavy for us, that in our own strength and in our own power, we could not lift that boat up in our own strength and then put it back down on this trailer. We needed, we needed help. We needed something to come and to literally do the heavy work of lifting and to empower us, give us the ability to be empowered to lift this thing that was too heavy or too difficult for us to do. I want to welcome you to the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit in the lives of every individual who's given their life to him. This, is, this brings us back then to why Jesus was so excited. And the purpose of Acts chapter 1 verse 4, it says this. He says to his disciples, Jesus speaking, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. We understand, right? Jesus, Jesus' call to wait has, in, has, in, has, this, has in mind a specific idea of waiting for something that they needed, right? Saying, you need to wait. Do not leave. There's something coming. There's a gift that you're going to need in your life. The idea of their waiting has in mind this understanding of equipping and of enabling, of being equipped and of being enabled, right? And so if you're equipped, equipping always has in mind a reason and a purpose behind it. You're equipped for a reason. Why is Jesus equipping his disciples? Well, the reason is simple. He wants to use them. Right. The reason he, he wants to use them. But here's the idea. Right. That he has to equip them so that they can be usable. You understand. Right. They're saying there's I have this reason. I have this thing. Right. I want to. But you have to be equipped. Why? Because I want you to go to all the nations. I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth. Right. And I want you to be me to everywhere that you go. And they look back and say, we can't be you. you say, exactly. That's the, that's the reason. But I have a I want to equip you. I want to enable you. And so he says, I want you to wait. Why? Because there's a reason for their waiting, because he wants to equip them and to enable them for the purpose of being Jesus to all the world. The same spirit that enabled Jesus to be Jesus now is the same spirit that enables us to be Jesus. That was the video Natasha said, he'll be the only Jesus these kids see this week. 
Right? We're going to be Jesus. We're going to go and we're going to be empowered and equipped to be Jesus. So Jesus calls them and tells them to wait. Why? Because to go, and I don't know about you, but the idea of being Jesus to people and living the life that Jesus lived is a little bit overwhelming. I don't know about you. That for, for, me, for, for me to receive this idea of being the only Jesus some people may see today is a little, maybe a lot, overwhelming. Because I know in my own strength and in my own ability, I can't really do anything that Jesus did. And God knows from my own experience in life, I don't always do a great job of resisting temptation like he did, like he was empowered to do in the desert. I don't know about you. Maybe maybe you're all perfect, but I'm not, right? I've fallen into temptation, and I recognize in my own strength, I need help. Help me, Jesus. He says, Holy Spirit, right? Paraclete, helper, advocate, intercessor, your companion right? Who is there with you, right? That's the idea. He says, here's the pulley that you need in your life to lift the things that are too big for you to lift, to do the things that you really don't have the power to do. Think about your own life. Have you ever said to someone or has anyone ever said to you, I just don't know how you do that. I don't know how you can handle that. I don't know how you can put up with that. I don't know. If I were in your shoes, I would crumble and I would fall. And you have no good answer. And all you can do is say, well, it must have been the pulley. I mean, excuse me. It must have been the Holy Spirit. It must have been Jesus empowering me in my life because in my own strength, I would have failed. And so this is the idea then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he says, but but wait for the Holy Spirit, right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Second, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We receive the Holy Spirit to be empowered, to be enabled, right? So we have power to withstand sin, to do the things Jesus calls us to do, and to go and to be his witness and to share him with the world. So in this story, the thing I don't want us to miss and the thing I want us to focus on, a key component is this word waiting in chapter 4, excuse me, in verse 4, chapter 1. Waiting for the movement of God, waiting for God to move, right? One scripture I think that we can allude to that gets a snapshot into the work that God does in our heart and during our time of waiting is a very familiar psalm, Psalm chapter 46, verse 10. You've all heard it before. It says this, God speaking, be still and know That I am God. We all have heard this probably before, right? Be still and know that I am God. And this be still is akin to the word that Jesus gives his disciples in Acts chapter 1. It says, wait. Wait in Jerusalem. Be still and wait. When we're still, what are we doing? We're sitting there waiting, right? Being still and waiting, they are similar, right? They're the same kind of idea. So what we get a picture of then of what what we see in Psalm chapter 46 is the work that God wants. Listen. Psalm 46 speaks to what God wants to awaken in us, the work that he wants to do in us, the way he wants to reveal himself in us during our waiting and being still. Let's look at verse 1 of of Psalm 46. Just read along with me. It says this, God is our refuge and strength 
and an ever-present help in trouble. So stop. What I want you to do, when you read this, you're saying, so then, if I wait, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm still and I wait on God, this is what I'm going to experientially be awakened to and have understanding of. Okay? I'm going to experience these things as I wait and I'm, I'm still and I wait for God. This is what I'm going to watch God do. Number one, I will recognize God as my refuge and my strength and an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, I will then experience no fear, right? Therefore, I will not fear that the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, the mountains quake with their surging. That's a bigger picture than anything going on in your life. Because each of us have our own quaking, right? We have our own waters roaring. We have our own surging, that's what he's talking about. He's make it, you have all of these happening in your own life, okay? There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Guess who the house of God is today? The city of God, right? Us. We represent the temple of God. We could even say in some sense, I'm stretching here, we represent together the city of God. You know what I'm getting at, right? There's this nature of God this, whose his streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. He dwells in us, right? God is, is within her and she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. But he simply lifts his voice and all the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Hey, come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations... <clears throat> He is brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. He says, be still and know all of these things because I am God. That's the idea here. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. This idea of knowing God does not have in mind just a mental ascent or gaining knowledge simply for knowledge's sake. Instead, it has in mind an experiential knowledge, as in knowing something firsthand, as an eyewitness. I've experienced it. I've watched it, right? The psalmist is speaking to a, a waiting that literally leads to watching the movement of God in the area of need or moving to literally experientially reveal himself to us. And what he does in this moment, right, of, of waiting is to test us, to see, are you going to trust me, believe and have faith in me and my timing? Or are you simply going to whine and complain and trust yourself and only get frustrated and talk about your frustration and let that define your reality? One experience we see of this is from is from first Samuel chapter 10. The people of God had cried out for a king for the very first time. And God does not want this, but he answers their prayer and says, fine, if you want a king, I'm going to give you a king. But you're going to be miserable underneath every single one of them. And he comes in in chapter 10. He's in the first king is King Saul. He speaks to King Samuel, the prophet, the one who speaks to the king on God's behalf, speaks to him and says, now, Saul, go down ahead to me to Gilgal. 
I will surely come down to you to burn, sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you, and then I will tell you what you are to do, okay? So, he, and so Saul's going to take down his army, right? He's going to get down this entire army, and during those seven days, he's going to go down with his army, all across over here, basically in some close distance, and at least like it's where the Philistine army all of a sudden camps. And the Philistine army is much bigger, has better weapons, better horses, better chariots, right? And there's just plain more of them, okay? And this is not a good moment for Saul and the Israelite army, okay? Listen, the earth is quaking, the waters are surging, right? You know what I'm talking about. In their own hearts, have you ever felt the quaking of fear, right? The surge of fear that, oh, right? Or something like it starts like in your toes and makes its way up into your entire body and you feel like you're going white from the outside with fear. All of those moments that are overwhelming, that's what they're experiencing. We pick it up in chapter 13, verse 7. Saul remained at Gilgal. And all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. Not a whole lot of trust, not a whole lot of faith going on in the moment. So he said, Saul speaking, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. This was to get the Lord's pleasure, right? To get the Lord's delight, right? The Lord's favor in this, right? He burned the sacrifice, will win, basically. Bring me that. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering... And that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling in Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I would not stop the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled. Don't forget that statement. I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. And St. Luke says, you've done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel. For all time. This is, I would encourage you if I can read this, this chapter and get it all in context for your own story and your own self. But the thing I want you to recognize in the story, Saul was commanded to wait. He was commanded by God to wait. However, the, in the story, the Philistine army is pressing on every side. Everyone is scared. Some of the men are literally running away, all right? Waiting in this moment, it was not only difficult, but it literally, it literally felt hazardous to their health, right? This waiting was a crossroad of sorts for Saul. He came to a crossroad moments. Do I obey or do I take things into my own? own hands, right? Do I trust God? Do I believe God and the word of God? Or do in my feeling compelled, take things into my own hand, control my own situation? Do I begin to just lash out in frustration? Do I just own things myself? Or do I not do that crossroad moment? This was a test for Saul in the moment, in the moment of his own desert experience where God is not present, where they don't have the favor of the Lord. They're in the moment say, do I can Continue to wait and trust and believe. Or do I just take things into my own hands and try to control the situation and make things happen in my own strength? 
And verse 13 is that point. He says, I felt compelled. It gives us the answer, doesn't it? I felt compelled. Like in a sense, what he didn't mean, I felt the Holy Spirit. I felt compelled. This fear was rising. If I saw with my eyes everything crumbling, everything going bad, I sensed everything was going wrong. And therefore, I felt compelled to step in and take care of things in my own strength. But instead, the call is to live by faith, trusting, believing, and leaning into the strength of God at all times. First Timothy chapter 1, Paul is speaking to Timothy and urges him to tell the believers there to stop devoting your time and energy to things that don't produce life, that don't produce salvation. He said these things promote controversies rather than promoting God's work. What promotes God's work? What's by faith? What promotes the movement of God in our life? What promotes the action of God? What promotes Psalm chapter 46, 1 through 10? What causes us to be able to sit back and say, be still, because I'm going to know all of these things about God. A life lived trusting and believing and leaning into God in our desert experience, and our difficult circumstances, not frustrating, not complaining, right? But leaning into him, believing him, trusting him, and making our life lifestyle, our lifestyle, one of always crying out to God, listening to him and obeying him versus the inclination and the passions and the appetites of our flesh and of our hearts and of our minds. And saying, Jesus, in this moment, I lean into you. I need you, right? That's what God awakens. In the moment of the desert, in Saul's experience, right, a need was awakened. We need something. We need this offering to be burned. We need the favor of God. We need, we need. And so he felt compelled to move in his own strength. But the act of faith was to say, be still and wait. And watch God fight for you. See, Jesus knows in the book of Acts chapter 1 that reliance on self to make things happen is always futile. It's always futile, right? We would not in our lives be able to to be strong, to do the things that he calls us to do and withstand the things that we have to withstand in life unless an advocate, a paraclete, the helper comes along and fights for us in the moments of need. There's things that we just can't lift. There's things that we just cannot do in our own strength. We need the pulley. We need the Holy Spirit. But the 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 beauty of it is this. When we wait for the Lord, when we learn to trust his movement, when we lean on him, and when we are still in humility, we will know God by watching him defend and fight for, protect and guard us and do the Psalm 46 thing in our lives and the body of Christ. Maybe not exactly hear this in our timing. Isn't so much of our frustration and Saul's own frustration dependent on God not moving at the exact time that we think that he should or when we tell him when he should move? We may not say it, but we'll say, Jesus, we just pray that tomorrow that you'll move. That's just our humble way of telling him when he's supposed to move, isn't it? And we pray these things, but God's calling us to believe and to trust him. And believe and trust and, and we're waiting for God to do. We're relying on him. And so my question this morning in this, 
issue of waiting and God's timing. Do you believe he's good, that he's for you? Do you believe that he loves you and that he's fighting for you? Right. And in that place, then, are you trusting and relying on him? And I would say this. It's not a passive waiting. Waiting for the Lord is always active. It's always leaning into him. It's always loving him. It's always worshiping him. It's always praying and listening to him. Waiting is always active. I'm not not just sitting back playing Xbox and like, all right, hey, God's going to move whenever. Hey, no, it's saying, Jesus, I want to hear you. Because the idea is we can't move unless we're listening to him, right? There's the idea of waiting and of listening. In the desert, we're saying, Jesus, oh, Awaken me, open my ears to hear you, my eyes to see you, God. I'm waiting, but God, I want to move when it's time to move. So, Holy Spirit, make it clear. And if it's not clear, guess what? If it's not clear and you're listening, then it's not clear and you probably shouldn't move. Because God is not a God who likes to make things all fuzzy so you have no idea what to do in life. He likes to make things clear. And so I pray, Jesus, I don't know where to go, but I'm going to trust you and believe you. And I'm trusting our, my relationship with you and your love for me so strongly that I'm going to trust that you'll make it clear because you know how much of an idiot I am. That's how I pray. You know I'm an idiot. I'm an ignorant sheep and I have no idea what to do. So you're going to make it crystal clear. But I'm going to trust that you will because you love me too much to leave me in the dark. So I'm going to pray and trust that you will make things clear. So my active waiting then is praying and loving Jesus and leaning into him and learning and reading and growing and primarily always listening because he will make it clear. This is the idea that God's calling us to this crossroad of waiting in faith. And so my question to you is simple. What are you, what crossroad are you at? What crossroad are you presently standing at? What is it that God's calling you to wait and to listen and to wait for the gift and the outpouring and the power of the Holy Spirit? I mean, how beautiful is it? It's raining outside. It's not just a little bit of rain. It's thunder and lightning that literally makes you shake because when the thunder and lightning of the Holy Spirit comes, it's going to cause us to shake and to move and to be rattled and to be undone. And that's the nature of the Holy Spirit. He says, don't just sit there and think I'm passing. Oh, you're so great. And he's going to say, we're going to do this. We have a purpose and a reason. I'm a pulley. I lift big things. I lift heavy things, right? Big things and heavy things. I messed up your services. I messed up your life. I make the lights shake.